Happy Monday and welcome into the newest edition of the Caught Stealing Podcast here at Fantasy Alarm. As always, Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on X. And with me here is Matt Sells at The Sellsman over on X. Matt, I got two questions for you right away. One, how are you? Secondly, what a deal by the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I'm good. We got the first NASCAR race of the season underway. Got bumped up. Hopefully those of you who are listening in Southern California or all of California are doing all right with all the rain you're getting and then the bomb cyclone up in the mountains and all that. Um, but I'm good. You know, had, had that. We got some big baseball news over the weekend. And yeah, man, the Orioles, it looked like it was going to be just not a very good offseason for them, right? Everybody knew going into it that they needed another ace caliber arm to anchor that rotation that kind of came out of nowhere last year. And people were like, well, they haven't signed Snell. And they missed on, you know, some other big names. And then, boom, on a random <laughs> night, nobody's expecting any baseball news. We get Corbin Burns has been dealt to the Baltimore Orioles for what? A couple of throwaway prospects and a competitive balance round draft pick that nobody, uh, well, mostly nobody knew that you could trade, right? So. There go the Brewers trading their ace with one year left on his deal, so it is kind of a rental. Um, for Joey Ortiz, who is pretty solid middle infielder, like he's very good defensively. The tools play pretty decently. He's not like an overly offensive middle infielder. Um, problem is he's blocked in Baltimore, right? We all know they, they've got a ton of infield bats. Joey Ortiz wasn't going to crack that. And then D.L. Hall, who had kind of fallen out of favor because they don't know what to do with him, right? Drafted as a starter, supposed to be probably a number two, number three starter from the left side. Uh, can't stay healthy. Can't control where his pitches are going. Moved him to the pen. Still didn't really work out. So they maybe Milwaukee can work their magic. So we'll, we'll see. But overall, I think it's a great deal for Baltimore. They get Corbin Burns, one of the best pitchers in baseball, in a very nice home park. They have a year to work out an extension with them. And by the way, they have new owners because that news broke too, right? That John Angelos is selling the team um, to a Baltimore native, no less. So we'll see. Maybe they got new money uh, to sign Corbin Burns. But overall, great deal for Baltimore, still a little confused as to what exactly Milwaukee is doing. It seems like they decided to blow it up, Colby. seems like they were like, we're not getting anywhere. Let's blow it completely up and figure out, just throw five dudes out there who can kind of throw a baseball. At this point, I'm going to touch on the Milwaukee side of this first, getting to some of the players that they got there, and then we'll dissect the, the burn side of this. At this point, looking at the, the construction of the Milwaukee roster, is Jackson Churio really the only one who's truly off limits? Like at this point, it sounds like Milwaukee will listen on everybody. Am I wrong? Like I, I when I was over on fantasyalarm.com over right around the time that the deal was done, I remember seeing some updates of like Willie Adamas's name has routinely popped up and they may even consider moving a Devin Williams type. Nothing may happen with that. But at this point, there are more questions than answers with what Milwaukee's trying to do with their lineup. And other than Churio, you can make a legitimate case that they could deal pretty much mostly anybody. There are some pieces, I know other pieces that they won't, but is it would it really be that crazy for them to move some more pieces? 
No, I mean, I'm guessing they're not going to move Reese Hoskins, right? They just signed him to a True. couple-year deal. So At least right probably now. not. I mean, maybe hey, anything goes in July. I mean, I mean, right. This is preseason. We're talking right? preseason. We're, yeah. we're talking before the season starts, which, by the way, pitchers and catchers show up like next Monday. So we're here. We're, you know, we get, we get actual guys on baseball fields to talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that they flipped an elite bullpen arm, right? Obviously, Josh Hader, they moved him. Um, I feel like they keep coming up with these dudes who just throw airbenders in the back of the <laughs> in the back of the pen, but it's very weird. I mean, this team won the division last year and won it going away in September. Everybody else fell down, and it's not like the Cubs have made huge moves. I mean, yeah, they signed Shoto Imanaga, and they took the Brewers manager away from them, but that's really it. They haven't re-signed Cody Bellinger yet. Um, you know, the, the Reds have been gathering infielders, but you can only play four of those dudes at a time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that really helps all that much. Um, the Cardinals got the most mid rotation ever assembled. <laughs> so it's just weird to watch a team that won the division. Just go, no, we're blowing it up. It's complete. And I wonder if they got to keep Craig council, if they would have made these moves. Maybe. Oh, and they lost David Stearns too. Their their mm-hmm. GM because he's now with the Mets. So yep. I wonder if that kind of triggered it. Like we got to rebuild this thing. But I'm I'm with you. Jerry Curio may be the only guy aside from Reese Hoskins who doesn't get yep. moved. Yep, it would be very interesting to see. We'll touch on the pieces here quick. DL Hall, you and I talked before we started recording. There's some upside with him, and I I wrote about it over at Fantasy Alarm in the breaking news piece going over the trade. When it happened, I love the strikeout ground ball archetype as a pitcher. Yes. That's what DL Hall can be. However, you and I are both in agreement. Milwaukee will trot him out as a starter to begin the season. I mean, they have to. It's Correct. they don't they don't have enough. I mean, they got Freddie Peralta, and can you tell me who's number two in their rotation? Well, they're I mean, without their, googling. I mean, no, well, I wrote the player capsules, which you'll see coming out soon over at Fancy Alarm. But they got some, they got some uh, SP four, SP five types competing for SP two. I mean, maybe and SP3 Jacob Mizrowski comes up. I don't know, but it's yeah, it's, it's Freddie it's Freddie Peralta it's and just question marks. It's ugly. So DL Hall wouldn't be surprised to see him move back to a reliever role probably in the summer months. Uh, that would be my yeah. co- my thing there. When it comes to Joey Ortiz. He was an interesting one because the team already has Bryce Terang at second. They got William Adamas at short. Andrew Monasterio is going to be the third baseman. That would seem the most likely. Andrew Monasterio should not keep Joey Ortiz out of the lineup long term. Given what Ortiz showed last year, could you you see Ortiz start in the minors, though? I could see it for a couple weeks. I have him just outside... Yeah, I have him just outside my top 100, but some folks have him inside their top 100. So it's not like he's a terrible prospect. He's like, I think in my updated rankings, he's fourth best Brewers prospect. Um, So it's not like he's atrocious. But I don't know. I think you're asking the bat to do a little bit at third base in terms of what we normally think of 
as third baseman. Doesn't mean you actually have to. If he can field the position, I think that's all Milwaukee cares about. But yeah, I I, I think he probably starts in the minors, gets some time at third base, probably moves over there, unless their plan is to move Terang to third base. Or trade Adamas and then Ortiz just slides or in. Or trade Adamas, yeah. So that's what you're looking at there. Now let's talk about Corbin Burns. I wrote about it in the article. He's the third starter off the board in NFBC formats. There's not really much room to move up. You can't put him above Garrett Cole. You can't put him above Spencer Strider. Threes as high as you're going to see Corbin Burns go. To me, Matt, I, I wrote about it in the draft guide. If you haven't checked it out, here's a free spoiler. Corbin Burns is one of my is my biggest starting pitcher bust candidate this season. The move has not changed that for me. Sure, a little bit of a park upgrade, fine. Better offense backing him, fine. I can't get over the his de- his his ability to miss bats over the past couple of years has decreased each season. Yes. I am worried that if he comes in, he he should give you plenty of innings, so I know that's going to help. But if his ERA is in the mid threes again, his strikeout rate drops a little bit closer to an even one per inning, so a 9.0K per nine, is that really SP3 overall? I just can't, I don't see a path to him at season's end being the third most valuable starting pitcher. So I think you're going into the year with negative ROI from him already. I know it's a contract year. I know people love that think, narrative. I can't do it though. I think that's that's fair. Let me play devil's advocate a little mm-hmm. bit. The Orioles' new front office and and regime has been able to get more out of pitching than we thought possible. Right? Tyler Wells came out of nowhere last year and was a quality starter for them for most of the season. Kyle Bradish is like the hot name buzzing around this offseason people think he could be like an sp1 option which i don't see but like the hype train has gotten huge on kyle bradish so perhaps corbin burns stuff could use some tweaking maybe switching to adley rutschman and mixing up the pick pitch mix helps a little bit not saying it gets me there the other thing to be concerned with to your credit is that, yes, Baltimore's home park is great for pitching. The rest of the AL East is not. Neither are those offenses, right? He's going from an NL Central, which we have long crapped on the offenses in the NL Central, right, saying basically the Cardinals' offense has the two best bats in Goldschmidt and Arenado for a while now. Uh, And that was about it, right? (laughs) Now you're facing a loaded Yankees lineup. The Blue Jays, if they ever figure out how to hit, are pretty good at hitting. The Rays, even though they don't have the name, you know, the names you think of, they are pesky and they're good. Look at what they've done with Yandy Diaz, right? Just to mm-hmm. name one. So, while well, yes, he avoids the Orioles offense. It, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I could see that. I could see dropping him a few spots. Um and just being happy that you, you know, if he produces SP1 numbers, that's fine. But I'd be happier if he produces SP1 numbers being taken as like the SP9 to SP12 off the board rather than SP3. Yep. And that's the thing. It's 
again, a lot of times when we talk about bus, I wrote about it in, in the article. So if you don't have the draft guide, go check it out. Fantasyalarm.com. I'll give you more information about that here in a second. But when it comes to bus, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and post a 5.5 ERA and suck. I'm yeah, not, he's not gonna saying be he's going to have a terrible year. <laughs> Correct. What I'm saying is, and it, again, with Burns, I don't hate the player. I hate the price. That's yes. that's where my bust thing comes in. Corbin Burns is a very good pitcher. He gives Baltimore a legitimate three-headed monster at the top of that rotation. Correct. He's just not the third best starter in fantasy. And if and Grayson Rodriguez is fully healthy, that team could really be going places. As if they weren't already. I mean, yeah, they, they're they going to be a problem for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> for I, fellow I would, AL East folks, it's, it's going to be a problem for a while. And then other pitcher news that we had. So also, as mentioned, in the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide, go to fantasyalarm.com slash pricing slash draft guide. And if you want the draft guide only, you'll see it there that you can purchase. You can also just get the two cheat sheets or join All Pro. Talk with Matt and I in the Discord. Get questions answered because draft season's right around the corner. Head over to fantasyalarm.com to check that out. But another bust, I'm, I'm basically just going to give out every single player I wrote about in these articles, but you should still buy the draft guide to see the other ones. Walker Bueller was a bust candidate of mine. Not his first. Second Tommy John surgery. He's coming back from that. He's only thrown a couple more innings than Matt and I have over the past couple of seasons. And he's now, I believe it's been confirmed, he will not open the year in the rotation. He's not going to be with the team to start. Correct. You just can't draft him at price. I understand when he's healthy, he could be very, very good. But I wrote about it in the draft guide. I tweeted about it the other day. The Dodgers don't care about Walker Bueller in March. They don't care about Walker Bueller in April. They don't care about Walker Bueller in May. They don't care about Tyler Glass now in those months. He'll be fine. Don't worry. But all they care about is October. Look Correct. at the construction of that team. That team, this that team, this team is treating it like the NBA. They know they're making the playoffs. They don't care what happens in the first 50 games of the season. Because you know yeah. what? They could trot out you and I at the rotation and ha probably have a chance of winning games because their offense is going to score 11 runs. Like they don't care about Bueller in the early months. So fantasy managers at his price, you can't do it. Correct. Uh I mean, you got I mean, the one thing we've learned to take from Dave Roberts is when he says he's going to slow roll a pitcher, believe him because mm -hmm. they always do, right? It would make no sense to go trot out Walker Bueller, who hasn't pitched since what, August of 2022, mm -hmm. uh, to go trot him out anywhere close to opening day and go, go pitch us 180 innings. It, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So whether he starts down in, uh, you know, extended spring training, the Arizona complex, um, you know, works his way up with, I'm sure it's going to be several minor league rehab starts. So those of you who live near um, Dodgers minor league affiliates, AKA in Oklahoma, because two of them are, <laughs> are fairly close to each other in Oklahoma. Um, you may see a decent amount of Walker Bueller this year that you didn't think you were going to see, because I don't think that he is fully up with the team until like maybe June. It could be, maybe. it could be a little bit 65 innings in 2022. And I believe last year he had what like one minor league appearance for like an inning or two. And that was I think it. so. They were going to try and get him back for the playoffs. And then they were like, yeah, not worth it. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. They, they, I mean, if you look at the NL West, who do they really have to beat to make the playoffs? 
the Diamondbacks. Arizona. I don't think San Diego has the pitching to do it. I mean, they, they've got seven guys who can close ball games, but I don't know who's starting three out of every five games for them. Um, the Giants are a big old question mark. The Giants are question mark, and the Rockies, I'm sorry, you're still rebuilding, but, like, you're the Rockies. Um, yeah. So they really only have to beat Arizona. Can they? Perhaps they did it last year. I don't see why they couldn't again this year. Arizona's gotten better. It'll be close. But, yeah, they're making the postseason. So all they need is – I mean, it's the same thing with Kershaw. They've basically admitted we're checking in with Kershaw. When he gets closer, we'll probably sign him, and then we'll trot him out there in the second half, and it'll be just fine. But I will I will push back on something you said at the beginning of the Bueller discussion. I'm not sure that even when he's healthy, he is an SP1 or SP2 option for fantasy. His strikeout rate the last two years has been dropping. In in now, granted, 2022 he did come up. Turns out he had elbow trouble, right? But before then, he was not missing bats. He was relying on his defense to get guys out. He was not pitching very efficiently. Sure, the ERA was still solid because the Dodgers can field baseballs. But if you're looking for an SP1 or SP2, you've got to get strikeouts from those guys. I don't care how good his whip is. I don't care how good his ERA is. Innings eating is fine. If you're not striking dudes out, you're no better than a mid-rotation fantasy starter. So even when he's healthy, he wasn't striking guys out. Whether that comes back when he's healthy now, we'll have to wait and see. But he is a big red flag for me. I'm I'm not touching Bueller this year. And even back in 2021, wrote about in the draft guide, his peripherals had his ERA north of three when his actual ERA was sub two five, but he had a 247 Babip that year. What if, what if, yeah, he was hit. What if a little bit of luck goes the other way? Yeah. And by the way, this is coming from a guy who had him as a prospect in a 21-team league when he was first drafted out of Vanderbilt, and nobody he was outside the top 200 prospects for most people. So I've liked Walker Bueller for a while, but he's been you know, decreasing in fantasy value. Yep, so that's some of the key news that we've had since the last time we talked. And Matt, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about getting back into the fantasy baseball mindset. Football is nearly completely behind us, although we are still pumping out a lot of great football content. I believe it's Coop. It might just be Coop, or maybe some others are doing some of the free agency outlooks and stuff. So if you still want your football fix, check that out. But we're getting back to the fantasy baseball mindset. And this week, Matt, we're talking about quantity of contact metrics. So some of the numbers you see, especially if you go to a site like Fangraphs or even Baseball Savant, you'll see like SWSTR percentage, Z contact, O contact, O swing, contact rates. All in all, there's a lot of good numbers there. There's a lot of data that we can use to, again, maybe it's validating preconceived thoughts or opinions that we have on players, but let's let's do it this way. Both in terms of preseason when you're preparing for drafts, as well as once you get into season, how do you use some of these metrics for your teams? Like mainly, like for me, I really like swinging strike rate and contact rate and O swing rate. AK outside of the zone. Those are the ones I kind of look at the most, um, but I'll kind of let you die. I'll give you first crack kind of explaining these metrics and how you use them for your fantasy teams. Yeah. So I guess the key for me is, I, you know, there are a lot of different contact metrics. They're all trying to tell you 
different things. I like using total contact metrics. Why? You have to make contact with the baseball to have anything to happen with it, right? Can't hit a home run if you miss the pitch. Can't get on base if you miss the pitch unless it's a walk, obviously, or, you know, catch your interference or whatever. But generally speaking, you have to make contact with a baseball to produce some sort of outcome that gets you on base or helps you for fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that the guys with the highest contact rates will put up the highest batting average. All depends on how hard it's hit, where it's hit, whatnot. But generally for me, um, I like guys with uh, typically lower swinging strike percentage, right? Means that they're more patient and generally speaking, higher total contact rates because I'm not sure the the actual, you know, if you line them up exactly how they would match up, but typically I've found that the guys with the higher total contact rates uh, are the ones that, generally speaking, have better run production, better home run totals, and solid batting averages. As for making contact outside of the zone or inside of the zone, because that would be O contact or Z contact, I mean, it matters less to me, I guess. But, I mean, do, do you have a preference when it comes to that? Uh, in terms of contact, I do like the overall contact rate. I like zone contact a little bit, because if you can't make contact with pitches in the zone, regardless of what your numbers look like, it's not going to be sustainable. So right. I like high you zone. You can't contact be the rates. greatest bad ball hitter and not make contact with fastballs down the middle. <laughs> exactly. And really yeah. when it comes to O swing or, you know, like O contact Z kind of stuff like that, the one I really like is O swing. So swings outside of the zone. How willing are you to leave the strike zone? Because depending on what your walk and strikeout rates look like, that gives me an idea of, is this sustainable or not? If you have a very high, chase rate if you, i think you see on a baseball savant i think they call it chase rate but if you leave yeah, the zone basically often, you will get exposed at some point they're going to catch up to you pitchers will catch up to you if you fall behind you're in trouble because you're willing to leave the zone more frequently so if it's something where maybe a guy let's say well let's kind of use it to really validate it let's say someone has a 30 percent strikeout rate and a four percent walk rate and they're above league average in terms of o swing rate I have no reason to believe those numbers are going to change. Correct. Because you're not willing to take ball four you're, and you're right. going to swing at strike three. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That, not to mention catchers validate. will know this. You you were you were oh, yeah. a catcher, right? If you saw a oh, guy yeah. who came up and was swinging like Javi Baez, right? Why would you ever tell your pitcher to throw anything in a hittable area of the zone? Mm -hmm. Right? Why wouldn't you sit there and nibble and make the guy work for it? Because uh, he's proven. I mean, hell, playing MLB the show, they do the same thing. If you swing at a pitch outside the zone, the computer is smart enough to figure out, hey, let's just keep throwing things outside. The user's clearly too stupid to take it. So <laughs> why wouldn't yeah. real-life pitchers do it? It was very simple, especially if they like to take the first pitch, dot a fastball in the outer third for strike one, play off, tunnel off that fastball, sliders low and away, curveball low and away, swing over top right. of it every time. So, And then from the pitching side too, same thing goes with that. If you have a very high strikeout rate 
and you generate a lot of swings and misses overall, as well as swings out of the zone, that's going to tell me your strikeout floor should remain elevated. Even if it you know ebbs and flows a little bit, it's relatively going to remain rather high. Whereas it's hard to sustain a high strikeout rate with lower swings out of the zone, outside of the strike zone, because you need a little bit of help right. in, from the hitters. Like so, it's, it's really hard to strike out a lot of people only living in the strike zone. That just doesn't happen. Right. So uh, turning attention, a similar, similar stat, but on the pitcher side, mm -hmm. there's the CSW, the called plus swinging strike percentage, right? That's been a huge mm -hmm. topic the last couple of years. I don't necessarily prefer that over swinging strike rate. Okay. Here's why. With all of the talk and all of the complaints about the refs being bad at calling balls and strikes, why am I going to base a stat off of such a high variance that people are complaining about? Swinging strike rate in pitchers I like because you got the batter to swing at it and he missed it. So it's your skill inducing a batter to swing or you and the catcher setting the guy up. It's not, let's throw it six inches outside and hope the ump sucks so much he calls it a strike, and then I get credit for inducing the ump to make a bad call, which they do all the time to the point where everybody wants eagle eye and, and robo-umps, as they call it, including me. So... That's why I would prefer to look at swinging strike rate for a pitcher mm -hmm. rather than CSW. I understand there's merit to both, and they're you know they've they've made points that CSW uh, correlates very nicely to ERA. But I think there's way too much variance in you know zones for various umpires what they're willing to call from any given pitch i mean how many times in the postseason last year did people put up overlays with three pitches and two of them and they're all in the same spot and they all got different results yep. so i'd rather look at a skill-based stat which is swinging strike rate for me I, I i don't know how you come down on the csw but for me it's more swinging I'd strike rate it's another good metric. I, I tend to lean towards swinging strike rate. That's the first one I tend to look at. I've had higher success with that, looking at that. And like even last year when I'm looking at baseball savant, like whiff rate, when you see guys that are in the 99th percentile and above for whiff rate, five of those, we have six total pitchers, all of whom are relievers, but smaller sample size. With a 99th percentile whiff or higher, five of the six were in the 95, 95th percentile or better for strikeout rate. Like whiffs, and then you got Spencer Strider there, 98th percent whiff rate, 95th percentile chase rate, 99th percentile strike rate. There's not, there's a couple outliers that do show here, like the Aroldis Chapman, 100% whiff, 100th percentile whiff rate, 100th percentile strikeout rate, 5th percentile chase rate. Like there's some interesting stuff, but that's so probably because people just sit on 100 mile an hour fastball and they're not going to swing at the slider. Right. He's yeah, setting guys up well, but he's yeah, not you just getting look at the numbers. out of the zone. Yes. Yeah. So there's some interesting stuff when it comes to look at like that. And I mean, a lot of times when you look at those numbers, like that's why I like Justin Steele heading into last year. I'm not trying to victory lap anything, but he had a strong second half where the metrics finally caught up with one another and the production was there. That was enough for me to buy in. It worked last year. Like, again, not trying to victory lap, but you can try to take a look at numbers and be like, hey, this guy may not necessarily be a big strikeout pitcher now, but the swinging strike rate, the swings outside of the zone, 
He constantly gets ahead of pitchers, very high first pitch strike percentage. That's a pretty big component to getting strikeouts. Maybe it's just a matter yeah. of a little switch in the pitch mix. And boom, he's now over a strikeout per inning instead of hovering around eight, eight and a quarter. So, right. or per K per nine, not per inning. That would be crazy. Eight strikeouts per inning. That would be an elite fantasy. That'd be aspect, some Chuck. But- yeah, that'd be some Chuck Norris level stuff. He got he got four strikeouts. I mean, you can get four strikeouts in an inning. Uh, it's happened before, <laughs> but not eight. <laughs> no, eight's a little. That'd high, be a but- whole lot of drop third strikes, man. <laughs> yeah, four. For sure. And if I'm not mistaken, Matt, in the in the draft guide, don't we have an article that talks about advanced statistics too? I believe I'm pretty sure we so. do. I think I remember seeing it. I'm trying to trying to look for it here, but I would imagine that they're I know they're I did not write it. But I did not write it either. And even if there's not, this has you covered. So if you did miss the past couple, yes. we talked about expected statistics, quality of contact, and now this week is was quantity of contacts. So make sure you check out the past episodes to see all of that there. And of course, once again, fantasyalarm.com for the MLB draft guide. Go all pro just by the draft guide itself or just by the cheat sheets. Check it out at fantasyalarm.com. And if you do go all pro, you can join our Discord. You can talk with Matt and I directly as well as everybody else that we have here at Fantasy Alarm. And Matt, there were some questions in the Discord that popped up over the last couple of days. So I know we've answered them there pretty timely, but wanted to expound upon them a bit here. So Really interesting question that I defaulted to you because it was a little too, you know, I didn't want to answer it. So I was like, I'll default to Matt. This is his wheelhouse with the prospects and such. But Dynasty League, first pick, a roster that could potentially contend. Wyatt Langford, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Yamamoto with the Dodgers. They have the first pick. If I'm not mistaken, in Discord, you had said Wyatt Langford. So I want to give you the floor to expound upon that a little bit because it's much easier to speak a novel than to type a novel. Correct. Um, Actually, I guess it'd be a monologue. You don't speak novels. You speak monologues. I right? mean, audiobooks, I guess, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. you're going to you're gonna verbally yeah. author an audiobook right now. Correct, yes. Um, so given that the user said that his team has an outside shot of competing, that to me means you've got to take one of two guys in this discussion. You have to take either Langford or Yamamoto, because if you have a shot at competing, you have to take the guys that have the cleanest shot at putting up the most impact in the majors this year. Langford in at-bats, Yamamoto in innings pitched. Okay, I understand Langford is not up with the team yet. However, assuming he doesn't get hurt in spring training, and assuming he has a decent enough spring training, I don't see how there's any reason why he's not the fourth outfielder on that roster, right? I think he's not necessarily guaranteed a starting spot, but I think you shift him in. Um, you could platoon him with Evan Carter in left field. You could give Leody Tavares some days off and put either Langford or Carter in center field. You know, pair those with Adelise Garcia and you're fine in outfield if you're the, the Texas Rangers. So Lankford, I believe, is going to be up. If not out of spring training, it's going to be like two weeks into the season, right? If they're trying to do the we want the extra year thing. Yamamoto is up in the starting rotation with the Dodgers. However, you have to trust a bat more than an arm off the excuse upon off the bat, right? In terms of dynasty, in terms of longevity, it's more likely you get more use out of a bat than an arm. Secondly, 
You remember how everybody crapped on Kodai Senga in the first half of last year? Mm-hmm. Right? He was not great. He was, oh, look, the Mets screwed up and got you know, blew some more money. And then by the end of the season, everybody's like, oh, he's got an outside shot at the NL Cy Young because he figured it out in the second half. He got used to the five-day rotation. Now the Dodgers are likely to go with six to protect arms. Okay. But the other way to look at that is, it eats into his innings, which also eats into how many strikeouts he can provide, how many you know shots in helping you in ERA and WHIP. Because the lower the inning total, the lower a good ERA and WHIP affect your your team's total. So, for me, I'm going Lankford. I could see the argument for any of these four guys. If you are in a startup and you want to get a premium guy for the rest of his career. You can toss Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz in there. Obviously, they're phenomenal, right? Paul Skeens drafted by Colby's team, first pick overall last year. Dylan Cruz drafted by my team, second pick overall last year. But those two guys are likely not coming up this year. Both teams have no reason to bring those guys up. They'd rather have them season and get playing time in the minors. So... I, I can see an argument for everything, but Wyatt Langford is going to be special. And honestly, even in a startup too, it's not like you're sacrificing a ton, a ton long-term with taking Langford compared right. to the other two either. Right. You're just, you have to go into it. If you're in a startup dynasty, you have to decide, are you drafting this like redraft and you're trying to compete now and then you'll build later? Or are you trying to build a core that will compete in a few years and you know the first couple of years in the Dynasty League, you're just sitting there on talent. Yep. And that's that's, that's basically the difference between you can either take Lankford or Yamamoto if you're approaching it like a redraft. Take Skeens or Cruz if you're approaching it like you have a couple of years to wait and you can stew and you still want elite talent, but you don't need them right now. Yep. I, I would have leaned... Yamamoto, but again, it, it comes down to Yamamoto Langford. That's what it comes down to for me as well. And Matt, we've there have been a couple, some people are starting to draft early, which I love, love early drafting. So I'm I'm loving that. And definitely we're starting to see some keeper questions rolling in the Discord as well. And we're I'm starting to notice a trend. And it happens with your team, it happens with my team. You stockpile talent and eventually you have hard decisions yes. to make. There's leagues where you can only we had one question this where you can only start three shortstops, but you have Trey Turner, Bobby Witt, Ellie De La Cruz, and O'Neill Cruz. You, as much as you probably love to keep all four, you can't play all four, so you can't keep right. them. So look, we'll both answer this question. I'll kick it to you first, but how do you handle keepers in terms of when it comes to locking out positions in your starting lineup? How much does that factor into the overall decision? Yeah, so I, I asked you before the pod – about this now it's a little different because spencer steer does have outfield eligibility but let's say for sake of argument he didn't he only qualified at first and third i know unlikely but he only qualifies at first and third in this hypothetical i then have jake Berger i could keep and i also have no elvi Marte who i would like to keep and he only qualifies at third base because that's where he played right so if i keep all three which i can because it's under the limit and whatever But then I go into the draft having, you know, basically locked out the corner outfield positions because I have 
steer at first, put Jake Berger at third, and Noel V. Marte at corner, right? But the problem is you don't you can assume that people will keep the best guys possible. But every year, even in my home league, there are shocking moves made with keepers. Guys that were keepable, that were let go um, in favor of others. So you don't necessarily know who will be available in the draft. Not to mention, what if injuries happen? Like last year, Reese Hoskins, like two days before opening day, blows his knee out, and now you kept him. Okay, now that guy's useless, and now there's a brand-new starting first baseman that's available. Granted, not great, but if you've locked out corner – you have no ability to go and change the flow of your draft, right? So unless it's an overwhelming value to keep all three, I generally speaking only keep two guys for a position group to give me flexibility in the draft. What about you, Colby? Ultimately, what it comes down to me, it comes down to how your league's roster setup is. Let's say let's say you're in a 12-team league. Every team keeps five players. Quick math says 12 times five is 60. The five players that you are keeping, you are essentially saying, essentially, just to make my point, they're a top 60 player. I know it's probably not overly the case, but that's how we're going to look at it. The, the top 60 players are being kept. Okay. I know it's not the case, but we're saying that it is. You cannot use a top 60 pick on someone that will not start for your team every single day. Correct. You cannot keep you can't keep four shortstops if you can only play 3. It's not about having the best bench. The only caveat to that is if it's something with like uh I'll use O'Neal Cruz for the example. If they say that he's going to be the team's second baseman, he doesn't have that eligibility yet. Fine. You can suck it up for 10 days, play the matchups and then once he gets second base you can use him. But if nothing like that is happening, you cannot use a keeper on someone that you cannot play every single day. It's like if you go to fantasy football, you have three keepers. You can only start two wide receivers. Why would you keep three wide receivers and put yourself through hell every single Sunday trying to decide who between Tyreek Hill, Nico Collins, and uh, and Keenan Allen? Or Puka Nakua. Why are you going to do that to yourself? Like, it's just not right. worth it. So you have to look at your team. You have to look at your league settings. That's an article in the draft guide. Know your league rules and make sure you're making those decisions when it comes to keepers. You should. The one thing I try to do as well, I, I try to not lock up my utility spot because that limits you going into right. drafts unless I have an elite talent. Right. It's like locking your flex going into a football draft. It's no, yeah. no real point to it. Right. Like if I have so, Mookie Betts and Marcus Semien. Sure, Semyon will be my second baseman. I'm not throwing Mookie Betts out just because I'm afraid, again, say he doesn't have position anywhere else, which I know he does. I'm not going to throw Mookie Betts in there just because I don't want him to be my utility. He's one of the five best utility guys you can have. So, like, I'd be okay in right. that regard. Again, just if there's overwhelming value, yes. then you That's then the you make that move, right? Yep. But you don't just keep a guy because you like the name. You have to have... Yep. Um, and this is where multi-positional guys come in very handy. Obviously, Spencer Steer counts as an outfielder. Keeping him. Sorry, home league, if you're listening to this, Spencer Steer's not available. Um, so multi-positional guys, they help you because if you keep them, now you have a jigsaw you can move around 
and and you know have a flex and say there's in my home league if there's not a first baseman value that comes up that I like I have Spencer Steer sitting there right mm -hmm. I can have that covered and I can go get an outfielder for cheaper yep. or whatnot but you can't if a guy only has one spot you can't lock that spot with no flexibility going into the draft you just can't do it absolutely i will agree i'll agree there uh maybe next week we'll dive into being sure not to overvalue multi-positional players maybe we'll talk about that next week yes because that's that's easy to do that's very it's very easy to do it's very easy to do we'll talk about that next week but for for those that know the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball draft guide you'll know that uh howard bender and jim bowden oftentimes do divisional previews um they call them front office insights for each of those they're essentially divisional previews those are very good but matt and i we want to do a different spin on it and we're gonna have a little bit of fun with this so this is going to be a challenge yeah. that we are going to do for each division so we're going to do the nl east first in this division preview slash challenge but here are the rules for this challenge and make sure you listen closely because we want to see the teams that you construct as well. You may have known in the preseason with football, it's really fun to take the teams, take a quarterback, running back, receiver, and tight end from the four teams in each division. Can't duplicate positions, can't duplicate teams. We're going to do the same thing for baseball, but Matt and I, we wanted to make it difficult, because otherwise, you're not going to get out of the second round until right. everyone's been taken. So here are the rules. Cannot duplicate positions. So, for example, you can't have Juan Soto and George Springer, because they're both outfield. Can't do Juan Soto and Glaber Torres because they're both Yankees. Here are the rules in terms of players ADP. We're going off NFBC ADP dating back to January 1st, 2024. The player must have an ADP outside of the top 175 players except for catcher. Anything goes a catcher. Do you want JT Realmuto? You can have him. Do you want William Contreras? You can have him. That's fine. But then you can't use that team again. And what we're going to do, because it's a little hard with five players and really only two pitchers to go with categories, we are going to go off of ESPN's standard scoring for head-to-head -head league. So it's one point for a run scored, one for total base, one for RBI, one for walk, minus one for strikeout, plus one for stolen base. And on the pitching side, it's three per inning pitched, aka one per out recorded. Minus one for a hit allowed, minus two for earned runs, minus one for a walk. You get one for a strikeout. You lose two for a loss. You get two for a win. You get two for a save, but we're also going to do you get two for a hold. Because when it yeah. comes to relievers, we may not be able to get closers. So then we got to pick high leverage relievers or maybe relievers who are starters. So we're starting with the NL East. Matt and, and I by, almost and had and a by the way, but we didn't. We, we will score these mm -hmm. division by division. Mm -hmm. And we will put together, I will put together a spreadsheet. So we'll track this throughout the season and we'll see who wins what division um based on that scoring at the end of the year we're going to put these in a spreadsheet and then yep. track it obviously you can't make a league based off of this because you can't have <laughs> six catchers and you know whatever so right. uh you know we'll score this we'll keep it going throughout the year yep and then if you again i'll i'll have the tweet out so make sure you see my twitter by the time you're listening to this at colby r conway on Twitter, or I guess it's now X, um, and you can see, submit your lineup, and we'll keep track of that as well, and we'll see who wins at the end of the season. So, Matt, uh, let's go first next seven to ten minutes, something like that. We can knock this out. Uh, I'll let you go first with your catcher. So, I'm going to go a little bit homerish here with my Nats, and I'm going to go k Well, you had to at least once. You had to at least once. I had, I had so. to at least not pick a, homer, a Nat, you had right? To. 
I had to. I'm required by the rules of this division to pick a net. Um, so I'm going to go with K-Bear. Um, obviously, Rio Muto's out there, but I wanted to stay more towards the spirit of the ADP rule and get more of a value rather than, oh, yeah, obviously it's Rio Muto, one of the two best catchers in baseball. Um, so, you know, we're Ruiz, one of the best young catchers in baseball, solid average, pretty decent pop. Depends on the rest of the lineup how much run production he'll get, but he plays an awful lot. Um, so yeah, I, I and right now as of uh, last night on Sunday, February fourth, his ADP was one forty two. Yep, I originally I originally had Real Muto, then I struggled to find Phillies values. I switched to K Bear Ruiz, but then there was a different little roster construction that I liked. So I actually and I don't even have this written in the show sheet, so you have no clue who I'm picking, but. I'm going ADP since January 1st of 146. I'm taking Francisco Alvarez, massive power, 25 homers last year, double-digit barrel rate, 91st percentile max exit velocity, a a dip in the second half in his numbers, really tanked uh, his numbers for the season. But he had a strong first half from when he was playing. I'm buying the power. I'm going to go with Francisco Alvarez. And we'll serpentine this. That way you don't have to go first each time. So I'll go with the infielder. I'm going to go Orlando Arcia. Um, this is probably my least favorite pick, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I needed a Brave. There's not much value in the Braves. There is it a, is there hard is to one, find value. <laughs> there is one that I almost picked um, later on. But really, even if he hits ninth, I don't care. That means he's going to get pitches to hit because teams are going to rather face him than the likes of Ronald Acuna. Austin Riley, Matt Olson, very solid against left-handed hitters, and he plays a very good defensive shortstop, so his leash should be pretty long. I'm just going to take the at-bats with Arcia. He's going outside the top 375, so I don't see anything from his numbers last year that isn't repeatable for 2024. So if he can match that, I'll be happy. Again, probably my least favorite pick of these five. Um, So I'm going Orlando Arcia. Where are you going in the infield? I am going with a former Nat and former pirate josh bell um switch hitting first baseman uh the average was down a little bit last year but i think that was mostly because cleveland sucked as a whole and you know he got to miami started doing better um i think he gets a bump in uh his average this year you know babbitt kind of showed he was a little unlucky because if you look at his barrel rate if you look at his hard hit rate if you look at the metrics he was basically hitting it about where he normally does just a little unlucky there in cleveland um the pop is pretty decent so in terms of uh a guy who could be a starting first baseman in a fairly shallow position he's going pretty deep in drafts so i'll take josh bell who's locked in in the middle of that miami order Gives you K. Bear Ruiz of the Nats, Josh Bell of Miami. Let's go with your outfielder. This one, I have flip-flopped on this guy a few different times, but writing the player profile for this gentleman kind of changed my tune about him a little bit. I'm going to go with the experimental left fielder for Atlanta, Jared uh, Kalenic who they got in a trade with Seattle that was kind of under the radar. He actually didn't do terribly last year. Uh, He didn't play a full season, but a 253 average, 11 homers and 13 steals is pretty decent 
for not a full season. He should get a pretty good run in Atlanta. They don't really have anybody they really want to put in left field aside from him. Uh, you don't want to put our Azuna in <laughs> in the outfield. Um, so I'm going to go with him. He's basically a free square where he's being drafted. He's in a pretty good lineup, obviously. So uh, Kalenic is is my pick. He's kind of a wild card, but at this point, they're all wild cards. So, yep. and he's about the best value you're gonna find in Atlanta. Period. I would agree with that. If you want another wild card, here's a guy going outside of the top 450. He's going to be the third baseman for the Nationals, but he gets outfield eligibility. I love Nick Senzel this year. I know the durability questions are very large. I understand that. He's guaranteed to play against lefties as he's crushed them for the majority of his career. Last year had an OPS over 1,000 against them. And the numbers were pretty good last year, and he's at least appeared in 100-plus games in back-to-back seasons. A little bit of a park downgrade for him coming from Great American, but he's locked into at-bats. park at downgrade for him. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> he, he, But he's guaranteed at-bats. He's going to play. He was gonna, he's probably going to hit just outside of the heart of the order, at least against lefties. So I like him there. And if Washington is another uh, death by a thousand cuts offense, there should be a, there should be guys on base for him. So I really like Nick Senzel. I mean, they turned and, around Jamer Candelario last year at the, at the hot corner. So they sure did. And let me go ahead and give you my starter. I talked about a wild card. Here's another wild card because I needed a Marlin. Yeah, we're down to slim pickings here, by the way. <laughs> but it's like Sudoku, yeah. you can only now you gotta go take from the teams you didn't yeah. take from before. <laughs> yeah, uh it gets interesting. I was locked into a Miami starter. I do actually really like this guy. I do think he's a good value. I'm going Trevor Rogers. That is where I am settling in. Just 18 innings last year, had a bicep strain that sent him to the injured list, but then he hurt his other shoulder while coming back. So that's kind of unrelated to his throwing arm there. But he, I'm hoping he can capture a little bit of that 2021 magic. I just need a little bit. And through the first four starts last year, 24.1% strikeout rate. I like that he was using his sinker more. That should help generate ground balls. His changeup continues to miss bats. It's a bit of a risk. I get that. But if I can get 140 to 150 innings from Rodgers with an ERA in the low fours, he's going to be right around a strikeout per inning, if not over it. I really like the value outside of the top. 350 and to be exact his ADP was 390 since January 1st so my starter is Trevor Rogers where are you going so for those keeping track I have a Matt and a Philly spot left to fill so it comes down to which starter <laughs> grouping did I like and where's the value in the relievers uh, and I kind of answered the second question first so my starter comes from the Mets it's Jose Quintana not great i know but his you know his metrics were solid they aligned with so last year he put up a 357 era granted in 75 and two-thirds innings but the fip was right there matching it um and his sierra was you know a little higher than that but i will take as long as he stays healthy which he should uh, which, you know, you never bank on somebody getting hurt, obviously. But if he stays healthy, he's about 160 innings. He should be low fours ERA, which isn't going to kill me uh, in this environment. He strikes out a decent amount of guys. And, you know, the offense for the Mets 
should get him into spots where he can win some games. Um, so it's not great. It's not a high, you know, a high upside option, but I had already marked off the, uh, the Marlins. Otherwise I would have gone with maybe Sandy Alcantara who is going outside the top 175. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Jose Quintana, right. We all need kind of an innings eating guy who can just go accumulate some stats. So that's where I'm going for that. And then that leaves me with uh, relief pitching. Uh, you and I are going to go with the same team here. Sure are. We're going to take opposite sides of the uh, debate. And I'm going Orion Kirkering because um, we're counting holds and saves. So I'm fine in either role he has because he's going to be a high leverage guy for them. He struck out a bunch of dudes last year across the minor leagues and then his cup of coffee in the majors and in high leverage situations in the playoffs. Um, I, I think Alvarado isn't going to hold the closer role all season or at least going to need spells out of it. So I'm going to get some bonus points there. Uh, Kirkering can also get wins in the role he's in. So I like him as kind of a jack-of-all-trades, high-strikeout reliever. And since it is saves and holds, that's why I'm okay going with Alvarado. I mean, he's had 20-plus saves plus holds each of his three seasons with Philly. Strikes out a ton of guys. Very, very good uh, closer option there. I think he gets the role to begin the year. We'll see if he can hold it. But two straight years with a strikeout rate above 37% and elite cutter that just makes batters look foolish. So I will go ahead and go Jose Alvarado as my reliever. So that will do it for the NL East. So I'm writing these names in quick so that we can keep this up. But Matt, K-Bear Ruiz, Josh Bell, Jared Kalenic, Jose Quintana, and the big O in Philly. And I'm going Francisco Alvarez, Orlando Arcia, Nick Senzel, Trevor Rogers, and Jose Alvarado. Let's stick in the NL. So next week we'll do NL Central. Um, Matt, I'm going to make an exception that I get to pick five pirates. Sorry about it. I've already made the decision. <laughs> it's locked in. So that's what is going to happen. So make sure you tune in next week because it will be talking about uh, what I say earlier. Oh, multi-positional players. We'll talk about that. We'll do some more statistical talk there and we'll break yeah, down maybe the some saves NL talk. Central. Yeah, maybe we could do some saves talk again. So we can look into that. But of course, in the meantime, head over to fantasyalarm.com. Get your hands on the MLB Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide that we have over there. Cheat sheets, sleepers, busts, prospects, rankings, everything you need. And if you go all pro, you can talk with Matt and I in our Discord channel. You got a draft coming up. Keeper questions. We will be there to help. So make sure, again, as you're listening to this, if you haven't done so already on YouTube, like, subscribe, all of the good stuff that you hear everyone say. Make sure you do that so you get up to date with the newest content coming out. And we will see you next week with the newest edition of Caught Stealing here at Fantasy Alarm.